Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the scripture. Father, thank you that we're here. Lord, and thank you that we're going to read the word and open the word and hear from you. I pray the Holy Spirit would illuminate the word of truth to us, that we would hear the voice of God through the word of God, and we recognize that you are the one that we need to hear from, Lord. And so, in light of our problems and situations and challenges that we're facing, I pray that we would hear the inspired, uh, God-breathed word, and that it would... uh, Uh, enlighten us, teach us how to live, convict us, and uh, cause us to live after your will. We pray that you would do this and more in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying? So the title of the message this morning from Gideon is The God Who Rewrites Your Story. The God Who Rewrites Your Story. How many people know that God wants to rewrite your story? Maybe you feel like he's rewritten your story, but in an ongoing way, in an ongoing way, God wants to keep writing your story. So we're going to look at Gideon's life, and we're going to pull out three powerful life lessons about how God rewrote his story, changed the disposition and direction of his life. And so if you're able to stand for the public reading of Scripture, I want to invite you to do so. I will read the first in the odd verses, and then I'm going to ask you to read the even verses. This is the word of the Lord. It says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the East would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far as Gaza. And they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, not Oprah Winfrey, but Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. And Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So today we're looking at the story of Gideon from the book of Judges chapter 6. I just want to give you the background so you understand uh, what preceded this story. So it's harvest time in Israel. And there's a palpable sense of anxiety among God's people because if they knew that at any moment, at any moment, there would be, so they're full of fear, and they know at any moment that their lives could see tidal waves of the Midianites coming down from the hills there, pouring out, about to attack them. It'd be like a flash flood out of nowhere. The Bible talks about them like locusts that were filling the land, about 135,000 of them, And not only that, they came on these uh, beasts, these camels. They invented camel warfare. And whenever the harvest then of God's people was ripe, what would happen is that the Midianites would descend on God's people in vast numbers, and they would wreck just desolation and devastation. And the Israelites are on the defensive. They're hunkering down. They're, they're fearful. They're in caves, and they're hiding in the mountains there. And the caves actually looked like this. I want you to see, this is what they looked like here. The caves looked like this here. There's people there, and they would literally go in caves like that and run into those and hide because there was many caves throughout this part of the, of the country. And so the ner- nervous harvesters there uh, quickly would reap all of their food, get all their food, and then they would run into the caves. And so this is a story, the 200-year-old story of the history of Israel chronicled here in Judges, uh, of the spiritual highs and the spiritual lows of which there were many. 
and we see that they're getting stuck, and they're getting absolutely stuck in these cycles of sin over and over and over again. In the book of Judges, this happens here. So what would happen is that they would cry out for help, and then God would send a deliverer, kind of like a Captain Israel, who would come like it's going to happen in this chapter with Gideon, and this deliverer then would deliver Israel. Then they would go back into their ways. They would sin. They would cry out to God. And that's the oft-repeated scenario that happens. So we see here in Judges chapter 1, verse 6, it says, The Israelites did what? They did evil in the Lord's sight. So again and again, they're doing evil. And Israel is in deep trouble. They are in deep trouble here. Oh, we're going to see just a snapshot of God's people here, this record of their lives. And so they're in a free fall. In every way, it's a deteriorating nation, spiritually, morally, economically. They've bailed on God. They've just blown God off. The Bible says in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says that neither another generation rose up, that neither knew God nor the things that he had done for Israel. <coughs> so they're in this downward spiral here. And continuing in verse 1 says this, watch. So, so what? So the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, okay? And in response to that, God handed them over, handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. So now you have the marauding Midianites there coming in from the east, wrecking devastation here. And imagine the children, imagine the families, imagine the conversations that would have, would have gone on, because this has been year after year after year. Sometimes we underestimate, like, how long that was. Think back, will you? So that would have been to 2016. Like, what were you doing in 2016? Now think every year you've experienced what we're talking about here. And so this is their worst nightmare. They're living in disaster zone. So imagine the children then speaking, seeing the marauders coming, the Midianites coming, seeing, Mommy, are those awful people coming? The dreadful people, are, are they coming again? Does this mean we're not going to eat, Mommy? Well, yeah, it means we're not going to eat. Daddy, Dad, are we, are we going to have to go into the caves, Dad? It's cold in the caves. We don't like the caves, Dad. We're going to have to go into the caves. Yeah, going to have to go into the caves. <coughs> so the Lord handed them over. The Lord, why did the Lord hand them over? Because they did evil again and evil again and evil again. And he told them to keep doing evil again. I'm going to hand you over to the Midianites. You're going to be treated harshly. So, but know this. What is the real problem? Are the Midianites the problem? No, they're the problem. The Midianites are a manifestation of their problem. Israel, their hearts are the problem. And so they're complaining. I mean, you, you think about it. They're complaining. They're upset. They, they hate their life but they hate their life and they brought it on themselves. So my suggestion to you is this story, the Bible says, is like our story. These things are written for us here. And so the Midianites are not the problem. Israel was the problem. Their disobedience was the problem. Their going their own way was the problem. Their blowing off God was the problem. Verse 2, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and caves and strongholds. So the Midianites are crazy. They're just a crazy bunch. They invented camel warfare, as I mentioned. So they would roll up in their camels, tens of thousands of camels, and come down after God's people here. 
and then they would, they would destroy everything. They would destroy the crops. They, uh, then they would stomp on everything. Then the cows would eat the crops. Then they'd take all of the livestock and go. And that's their, that's their existence year after year. And so uh, why is Israel hiding? Verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their co- crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack or invade Israel, destroying the camps, verse 4, leaving nothing, taking all of the livestock. So the thugs would come summer after summer after summer when the crops were ready and just loot, steal, and destroy everything. They took all of the free food. So they're stealing all of the resources. So God's people are impoverished. They're living in great poverty here, verse 5. And the enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were thick like locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. Unchallenged they would come, steamrolling through the land. Absolute devastation there. They're overrun. They're impoverished here. There's nothing that they can do about it, verse 6. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Watch. Then, then they cry out to the Lord. When they have nowhere to go, when there's nothing that they can do, when circumstances cannot get any worse, not because they want to turn from their idols, not because they want to turn from the awful Canaanite culture that they were absorbed with, only when they hated their life, then they cried out to the Lord. And so was the attack of the Midianites good? No, it wasn't good, not directly. Was the result of the attack of the Midianites good? Yes, it was, because then they sought the Lord. So only after the economy's been hijacked, only after they've been crushed, only after there's national trauma to the people, then they cried out to the Lord. You know, you could draw parallels with America today. And when is it that we as a nation will cry out to the Lord? That's another message for another time, but I had to squeeze it in. Verse 7. And when they cried out to the Lord, watch. When they cried out to the Lord, because of Midian, because of the awful Midianites, because of the awful circumstances, and how often really could this be our story? Midianites, bad to the bone. They're practicing their invasive, awful, uh, overwhelming uh, practices there overrunning God's people, stealing the food there. But in the midst of all that, God had a plan and God had a purpose. And that's what I want to talk about with the remaining uh, of our time together here, that being the background and understanding that to get the full impact of the story. We're going to go down to verse 11. It says this, Then the angel, after all of that, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. And Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide grain from the Midianites. So what is that all about? What, it, what does this picture tell us here? I remember the Bible says these things are written for us. So what is this all about here? But what's happening is Gideon is hunkering down in a hole. He's fearing for his life. 
He's hiding from the Midianites. Our future hero is in survival mode. When you would thresh the wheat, it meant that there, were li- there was like a little package, a little covering over the wheat. The wheat was a good part that you would keep and you would eat that and make bread and things like that. So they would grow their harvest. You imagine all the fields of wheat. They would cut it down. After they would cut it down, then they would dry it. Then they would roll or, uh, roll stones over it and it'd break that little covering over the wheat. And then to get the good wheat, what you had to do is you had to throw it in the air. And the wind would catch that, and the wind would blow off the covering called the chaff, and then the heavy wheat, heavy wheat with good wheat, would drop down. So what's happening, though, is at a place where a wine press, where people would, would squish grapes, okay, be down, be down below the ground, or at least some, a few feet below the ground, and you would be squishing grapes. So now here is Gideon, ridicul- it's a ridiculous scene. It's an awful scene here. Uh, it's a defeated scene. And so there's, there's Gideon, and he's in the wine press at the low, lower part, not, a, not up above high where you would normally have winds and throw the wheat into the ground. But now he's low here because he doesn't want to be seen by the Midianites. He doesn't want to lose his food. So he's in this ridiculous position, and this is what he's doing. He's picking up some wheat, and he's like, oh, I think I got a piece right. And then he'd pick it up again. And it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous position that he's in. And so it's shameful. He's at a low point. He's hiding. He's scared to death here. He's, he's overwhelmed by his life. And so, and he just looks ridiculous. He looks absolutely ridiculous. And now God enters his story not when he's like this man of faith and tearing it up for God here, but God enters his story when he's at his worst, when he's at the wine press, there where he's hanging on for dear life, where he's just, he's trying to, to eke out a living. He's trying to survive here. He's in retreat seven years. He's been doing this here, discouraged. He's defeated, and he's absolutely stuck in his circumstances. It's a low point there, and God meets him in his weakness. And while uh, he's thinking to himself, I'm not the right man for, for any job that God would have for me. And he's caught in this position where he's just looking awful here. He's trembling like a coward. God sees his life there. He's insecure. You have insecurities this morning. This guy wrote the book on insecurities. You feel inadequate? He, this guy felt more inadequate than you. You tremble at life, Gideon, more here. So he's caught in this ridiculous wine press moment, and this is the making of our hero. Okay, this is the making of our hero. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith, names Gideon. So I've got three points for you, three life lessons for you, three powerful, life-changing points for you. And the first is this, is God always meets you where you are. God always meets you where you are. At Gideon's worst point, when he's hiding in a dungeon of fear, overwhelmed with insecurity and inadequacy and trembling at his life like a coward, God shows up in his life. Verse 12, watch what God does. 
the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, you mighty man of valor, you stunned. He's like, what the heck? He goes, who's he talking? It was him. He'd be like, wait, where, where is he? Where is he talking? Who's this guy he's talking about? It can't be, can't be me. Can't be me that he's talking about. It says that the angel of the Lord. So this is uh, what's called a theophany or a Christophany, which means it's a, it's a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament. So here, he, he's face to face now with God here. And the Lord says, you, you mighty man of fearless courage, that's who you are. Gideon's like, I don't know if you got the right guy. And so he's like, he says, no, you, you're a, are you a mighty man of courage? Are you a fearless man? He's like, heck no. Heck no, I, I know who you're looking for, but that's not me. I mean, he's a, he's a mighty warrior. It'd be a good, you know, name for a UFC fighter, you know, and coming into the ring, the undefeated, undisputed, lightweight champion of the world, the mighty warrior. But, you know, that's not him. And so my question to you, though, is though, even though Gideon saw himself as the mighty wimp, God saw him as the mighty warrior, do you think then, do you think that God sees in you what you don't see in yourself? Do you think that God saw in Gideon what Gideon didn't see in himself? I want you to think about this. Because this, I'm going to unpack for many of you, I'm going to unpack your life in front of your eyes. And so, uh, where others saw Gideon as a coward, God saw him as a courageous deliverer. I want you to know this, that God sees in you what you don't see in yourself. That's what God is like. God recognizes in Gideon something that Gideon never recognized in himself. And I don't care if you're new to church or you've been around church for decades and decades. This is a principle that is true. And could it be, could it just be that God, knowing that he needed a deliverer, talked to Gideon about the deliverer that he needed to be? See, you only see your failures. You only see your insecurity. You only see your inadequacy. But that's not how God sees you. Gideon is in hiding. Gideon is forgotten. Gideon is weak. He's fearful. He is a nobody at the wine press. And God comes to Gideon. And God makes Gideon hear these words that Gideon needed to hear. You, in some translations, you're a mighty man of valor. You're a man of fearless courage there. You are a mighty warrior. And so Gideon now is the least likely liberator in the land. Everybody saw Gideon as a wimp doing his thing at the wine press with the wheat, making an idiot out of himself. You would never expect Gideon to be chosen. Gideon was not impressive. Gideon seemed ultimately utterly unqualified, but God saw something to Gideon that no one else saw. And so the Lord sees not just who you are, but what you can become in him by his grace. God sees beyond all of your hangups, all of your hurts, all of your faults, all of your failures, all of your limitations. God sees beyond that. And God speaks over Gideon a new identity. You got to see this, a new identity as a mighty man of courage. 
Now, I want you to see this because here's what we do in life and in the Christian life. We rule ourselves out. We do. We disqualify ourselves because of, fill in the blank. We hang on to our failures, and sometimes those failures define us. And here's what happens. Here's for some of you, I'm going I'm to unpack your story. And what you do is you unknowingly, you're not even aware of it, but you begin to embrace the history of your life, the names that you have for your own life uh, or that, are, that feel like they're over your life there. And they seem then to go deeper and deeper into your life, like into your soul here. Names like this, I'm not good enough. If you only know my story, I was abandoned. I'm not, we sang that chosen deal, I'm the unchosen. I'm the one that is rejected. I'm the one, the, the, the story, the name over my life, unworthy. And, uh, and we, we call ourselves names that really matter. But the names, friends, that matter most is what God calls you. And so, see, at our core, watch. At our core, if you have in your core that you are worthless, that you, like, get in here, that, that was pathetic, his scene was pathetic there. What's going to happen is that's going to, that's going to relate how you shape, uh, how, how it shapes you and how it, uh, you relate to people uh, in your, your relational circle. You relate to kids. You relate to uh, uh, people if, if you're married, uh, at your friendships, your parenting. It'll define all of your life. You don't realize it, that that like, name is like over your life. Maybe for some of you, the name over you is like forsaken. Or uh, I'm just, I'm so broken. Or if you knew my story, I am a failed father. Or I'm deficient. I'm unworthy. Uh, and, and, and Gideon, now watch, I want you to see this. Gideon's given a new name. Gideon's given a new name by God, and a mighty warrior. And uh, how many people know that you can sometimes uh, not understand the fullness of the implications of the names that you have worn in your lifetime. And here's what I know, is that God is a God who gives you a new name. We sang some of them this morning here. And these are the names that you want to internalize. I want to see my life, and I want you to see your lives through the lens then that God is naming you. And so God rewrites your story, why? Okay, because he meets you where you are. But there's another reason how God rewrites your story, and this is it. God is a name-changing God. You ever think that about God? God is a name-changing God. Well, how do you know that? Well, we just read it. That's for one reason that I know it. We just read it. Your name is Mighty Man of El. Your name is Mighty Warrior. Well, what about Abram? God said, you know, that name is not going to work, uh, Abram. Uh, and God called him Abraham, the father of many nations here, before Sarah ever tested positive on the pregnancy test. He's a father of many nations. You know, as the stars of the sky, so shall thy offspring be. So Abram is changed to Abraham. And then Sarai, contentious, one, we're going to change your name, Sarai, to Sarah, princess of God. That's who you are. That's who many of you are. Jacob. Ah, you heel catcher there. You wrestle with God there. I'm going to change your name to Israel. Saul in the New Testament there, Saul who was breathing fire against the early church said, no, 
I'm going to rename you Paul. Paul the apostle. That's who you are. And then Jesus sees Simon Peter and Cephas, and he says, uh, your name is going to be the rock. Not what you used to be, but you're going to be the rock. I'm going to abuse you, and that's going to be like what you're like in the New Testament church, Peter. You're, you're a leader, and you're like a rock-like leader. That's who you are. I'm going to rename you. So see here, God is a name-changing God. The Bible even says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, that all those that overcome is going to give you a white stone, and written on it is a new name, a new name, Revelation 2, 17. So here now, God caught Gideon, the most ridiculous moment, trembling like a coward here, and he renames him here. And God called Gideon, watch, God called Gideon what he needed to be in God's unfolding purpose for his life. He called him what he needed to be for the unfolding purpose of his life, the deliverer of Israel. Gideon, like, you're my guy. And I've got you, Gideon. And Gideon responded, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I'm not your guy. I'm not your guy. If you only knew about me, you knew the clan I was from. I'm the least. I'm the smallest. I'm the most minimal. I don't think I'm your guy. And so, uh, and when people look in the mirror here today, you look in the mirror here today, maybe you see somebody who is too whatever, and kind of disqualifies, you're too young, you're too old, you're too this, you're too that. And you have a zillion reasons why God would pass over you just like Gideon thought God should pass over him. The wonderful reality is this, is God doesn't see us the way that you see yourself or the way that other people see you. And so if any man be in Christ, he's a new person. And the old is, is passed away. The old story is passed away. And behold, all things become new. And we see in Gideon here, seeing Gideon that how he epitomizes this here. So I would just ask you this. If God was to give you a new name, and he is a name-changing God, what is the name that God would give you? What is the name that God would give you? I would like to ask you and challenge you that when we're done today, this afternoon, this week, that you would get alone and you would ponder and you would just, have, you would just say, God, in light of my circumstances, in light of everything going on, in light of who I am, in light of what you want me to do and what you want me to be, what might my new name be? You see, for some of you, it could be, I am beloved. I'm chosen. I'm a woman, I'm a man after God's own heart. I'm God's child. I'm forgiven. I'm a confident leader. I'm a loving, a friend of mine, an acquaintance of mine, said my new name is loving husband because for 30 years I've been so busy that I haven't loved my wife. Maybe a capable mother. Maybe an equipped leader. Maybe a loving mom. But what would your name, new name be? I would like you to pray about the future of your life and what it might be. And verse 13 says this, as we continue. Sir Gideon replied, The Lord's with us. Why has all this happened? And where are all the miracles the ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? 
But now the Lord's abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. No, the Lord told you this would happen. He told you, and you brought this upon yourself. So you're going through it, yes, but you brought this on yourself. So, but it's good to ask, you know, honest, sensible questions when you don't understand your situation. Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites, and I'm sending you. How, how amazing are the plans of God, friends, when Gideon goes from that story to this story where he's weak, he's scared, he's whining, he's a wimp, and God says, but I'm sending you. Verse 15, but the Lord, but Lord. And this, isn't this us right here in verse 15? How can I do it? How can I be the one? How can I fulfill your calling? How can I rescue Israel? Gideon's eyes are on who? Gideon's eyes are on Gideon, like our eyes tend to be on us when we sense God calling us to do something that's bigger than ourselves. And listen to Gideon's own description of himself. My clan, it's all about me, my clan, my, my family is the weakest. You know, my sister, you know, she's really charismatic. And I got, I got an uncle, and man, he's like ripped and all. But man, me, I'm just, I'm a nobody. And I'm the least in my family. And Gideon, watch, like who here, Gideon is haunted by a low opinion of himself. There it is. I'm the weakest, I'm the least. I can't do it. Haunted by his opinion of himself. Does Gideon have some scars in his background? Did Gideon feel like he wasn't enough, maybe? Did he feel inadequate? Did he feel insecure? He's not good enough. I'm the least. He's battling, friends, insecurity. And yet God, of all the people God could choose, God chose Gideon. And I want to close with this because, yes, he meets you where you're at. Yes, he's a name-changing God. But number three, God is a God who changes your story because, watch, God is with you. Verse 16, this changes everything. The Lord said to him, like he says, look, I'm not this, I'm not that, I can't, I won't, and uh, I'm the least, I stink. He says, the Lord says, yeah, okay, Gideon, well, I'm with you. Like that changes everything because I am the God who's with you. Name what you are not, God says, the answer to that is, I'm with you. I make up the difference for everything that you are not. Gideon, you can do it. Listen, you're my guy, and I know you're a chicken running scared, but I'll be with you, and you are going to win a great victory, and you are going to defeat the Midianites, and more about that later. But who doesn't have doubts uh, at some point in their life? And so a great story. I'm so excited to keep unpacking this story, but I'm going I'm to pause here because uh, we're going to do something a little different here this morning to close. Uh, we're going to close with this, and people are going to come up. The band's going to come up. But what we've done here is we heard Gideon's story. This is his story. I just told you a story is all I did. It gave you three take-home points. God will meet you where you're at. God looks at your life, and whatever you are, whatever name you've given yourself, God is a name-changing God. And number three, God is a God who is with you. And that, friends, changes everything.